You're listening to Bridging Realities, an accessible astrology podcast with your host, Eugenia Crock. In this podcast, I work to build a more professional astrology by bridging the seemingly esoteric, scientific, and complicated concepts of astrology into grounded, practical use for empowering yourself and your clients in everyday life. To learn more about the podcast and to find out how you can participate in more intimate conversations about astrology through learning opportunities, getting your chart read, or by joining the Bridging Realities tribe, be sure to visit AccessibleAstrology.com. For now, pop in your earbuds, hit the trail, relax on your commute, or listen wherever you experience your place of peace and ceremony, and enjoy these insights. May they be beneficial in grounding your experiences while reminding you of the brilliance of the gods and the goddesses above. All right, everyone, welcome back to the third and final part of the trialogue between Adam Sommer, Chris Brennan, and myself, Eugenia Kruk. Uh, We are finalizing this conversation we've been having uh, with a Q&A style uh, podcast where we have been addressing the questions of our listeners and trying to uh, give you all what you want. Uh, so for this episode, it's going to be, uh, we're going to cover a couple of questions that cover different topics. We're going to go into some transits and some more personal things about being astrologers and see where this flows, see where it goes. So Adam and Chris, welcome to Bridging Realities. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. This is my, what is my second time on the show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Number two. two. Okay. Oh, is it two or have I done three? I think it's your second because yeah. we, we did it on yours. Yeah. So, all right. So we're going to try to weave in the conversation that was uh, in part two on Adam's podcast, Exploring Astrology, where we were talking a lot about Uranus and Taurus. And that got us into a conversation about Uranus through Aries. And uh, I mentioned in that podcast about Chiron now entering into Aries. And I wanted to address that first off. And this is a question that came from, well, a lot of different listeners. I can't name any names, but where should we start? You know, I was talking a lot about how I see when Uranus moved through Aries, it changed our sense of identity in this world with Facebook and Instagram and social medias and how selfies came forward during that time and how we became obsessed on this, the sense of self, like who am I and, and how do I fit into this world? And we've also seen some damage in that where we've been leaving our footprint in the virtual reality more than we realized would affect us. Than, than how we're now actually starting to feel that now. I talked about Chiron moving into Aries to kind of clean up that mess. So uh, so where should we start uh, with this conversation? <clears throat> Adam? I'm curious why Chris doesn't use Chiron. Yeah, I am, I am too, actually. Well, of course, because you're traditional, but... Well, I mean, I used to use Chiron, uh, I guess, when I was doing more modern astrology. And I was really into yods, and I have like a yod between my... Sun and Jupiter forming like the legs, and then Chiron is at the the apex. <laughs> so, you know that to me is you know was a big deal at the time, or I thought it was. But I, I mean, I went through this period for several years after going through Kepler and learning through a bunch of different approaches to astrology and how there's different traditions <laughs> where you can never take for granted that anything in one tradition is going to be you, even if it's like the most important thing in one tradition 
sometimes it's just not used at all in another tradition or it's used much less. And after seeing that happen in several different times in like four or five different traditions, I just went through this period of questioning and trying to remove everything that used to be things I couldn't do without and then just building things back up from that from square one. And in the process, I just had to draw the line <laughs> a few times in terms of how much, how many data points I wanted to take into account regularly on a regular basis versus things that I might occasionally look at, um, but otherwise like wasn't putting in every chart. And it wasn't just Chiron, but I also kind of did that with the nodes where I tried to go through a few year period of taking the nodes out and going from, you know, the nodes are the most important thing and it tells you about the person's life path and you can't do a reading without the nodes to just, can I do readings without the nodes just using like, you know, certain planets or certain points. Mm. And I still haven't gotten back to the point. I'm starting to get back to the point where I'm reintegrating the nodes. I have not gotten to the point though yet where I'm where I'm integrating asteroids necessarily like Chiron. Right. And it's actually interesting that you bring that up because one of the focuses I try to have on my podcast, because uh, I am a female astrologer, is I really have been trying to integrate more of the feminine archetypes of astrology. So that's been my big thing, working with Juno Vesta series and so on and so forth. And feeling as a female practicing astrology that there's a lack of feminine representation in the chart when we just look at the gods, mm. you know, and I, I just love how perfect it is that all of these planets are named after dudes, you know, all of them and how Ceres was a planet, Juno was a planet, and then they all got declassified. Uh, and that was, these women came to rise when Ceres was discovered was in the, like the, the early stages of feminism. So in the late 1700s and how Ceres was discovered and Juno invests in Athena and how we saw feminism drop off in part of the 1800s and then it came back. And right when Ceres became not an asteroid any longer, but a dwarf planet was when Pluto got demoted from a planet to a dwarf planet. So it happened simultaneously. And so Chiron, I, I see as in a lot of ways, a, a kind of feminine archetype, although I think we think of Chiron as a he in the story. But I think that's what I love about these goddess archetypes is that women in particular, really resonate with those stories. Like Juno, for example, like the woman who gives up her power to her partner because he's God, right? And she keeps her mouth shut and he, she lets him, you know, make the decisions and him do this. And she passive aggressively takes it off on her children and things like that. That's something a woman really gets, that story of giving our power away to our male partner and um, things of that nature. So, what I love, though, so much about you, Chris, is that you, you're you using that traditional element and we need that. You know, we need like a nice, sturdy, how did how did we get astrology? What is the traditional iteration of all this? And and being able to bring in the goddesses into the conversation, I think, is kind of my role. But, but Chiron, I see as a very feminine goddess or feminine planet or entity because it's a healer, right? And not that men aren't healers, but that this, this natural instinctive processing of the wound is something that right now f the feminine archetype is com very comfortable with. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad that we're bringing Chiron into the conversation because it, it suits the Spurgeon Realities podcast. So, so anyway, uh, off on a tangent, but how about for you, Adam, because you do use Chiron, what do you think of this, mm -hmm. this change? I have Chiron involved with the Yod too. Okay. What's your Yod? Yeah. It's Jupiter-Saturn, late Libra. 
South Node Neptune, late Sag, Chiron, 28 Taurus. Okay. And where's your Chiron kit, Chris? So like seven Gemini, I think. Gemini. Oh, fascinating. Okay. So there's that. It's also on my MC, Mars, Sun. It's like a stellium out of sign uh, if you if you work it like that. Right. So my whole journey with Chiron has been somewhat of an interesting one in the sense that I, I guess I could just say I was annoyed in the beginning that every single person talking about Chiron was calling him the wounded healer. Right. Due to like Melanie Reinhardt? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and of course, a lot of other stuff. And with, with this could be a topic that could be explored as well, because I don't know how well, say, certain mythological stories work as far as superimposing them on planetary influences. Mm. Chiron, though, seems to work quite well. Yeah. The wounded healer part of the story really focuses on the end of the story. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, if you really go into it, and there's, you know, a bunch of books on my shelf that have great Chiron material in it. Mm-hmm. Robert Graves, Greek mythology, Campbell brings them up from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's these reference points. And once you start doing that and, like, contorting your understanding a little bit around Chiron, it isn't so much the wounded healer archetype that is is primary in my experience as the idea of mastery. And mastery is because he shows up as the greatest teacher in that, you know, subtext of, of, of culture. And, you know, teacher of all things, astrology, archery, plants, of course, Asclepius being, you know, underneath his, his tutelage. So many different ideas of this idea of like a universal teacher. Now, what does it take to be a good teacher? What does it take to get into that role? And we could go through the entire story of Chiron systematically to understand that. But one thing that I think is also really important and also applies to Neptune and Pluto is we haven't known about these bodies for an entire cycle. Mm, And through deduction, that tells me that we don't know everything about them until we have been through an entire cycle. And there has been astrologers like paying very close attention to all of the different ways that that the archetype appears. Now, the journey, I, I don't know if it was the second part or the first part where we touched upon this, but like there is this journey that we are all on that you could call, I guess, the wounded healer path, but it's one where we're like, when we understand our weaknesses and we address them and in a way we become humble in the face of of those stories to some extent in our lives, we, of course, are going to find mentors along the way. And I think the mentor archetype is really strong within Chiron. We find teachers, we find teachings, we find these ways to address what it is that is wrong with us. And then when we do that, we become whole again, and then we become the mentor or the exemplar of that kind of a truth. And so there's no coincidence in my mind that Chiron's symbol was chosen to be a key. Right. And this key shows up in so many different stories and tales. Like this key is under mom's pillow, under dad's pillow. Like usually the Chironic wound is is present early on in life, and that's where it comes from. And then we live with it. If we don't deal with it, 
then it becomes very much a problem, like a festering wound where we overcompensate and it becomes this like disgusting projection of an energy that we really are, but we can't admit. So when you turn your perspective on it and then you become, or you work on the humility element, you find good teachers and then you become it. Like there's nothing, like in my entire chart, like looking at Chiron is the thing I know that I'm trying to obtain or attain in my life. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Like that archetypal story is exactly what I've been after my entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I also can see it through synastry, but also certain transits as emerging as really good teachers coming into my life mm-hmm. or impactful books or like certain experiences. It's always this Chiron coming up. So Chiron transits to me are like the greatest teachings that you could possibly want. So with the ingress of Chiron moving into Aries, a space that he was in, in the late 60s, for some reason, my whole life, I've always been obsessed with the year 1969. Mm. And Chiron, you know, was dancing between Aries and Pisces mm-hmm. around that time mm-hmm. period. Um, so that's a looking back as well. Mm-hmm. We weren't alive then, but right. a lot of our listeners were. So that's a really incredibly valuable tool of like looking back to like maybe the origin of the wound and then like where mm-hmm. a person is at now. So that's my take on Chiron. Big yeah. fan. Yeah. 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 It, well, it's it's interesting to think of those of us who do have Chiron and Taurus, and Uranus is going to hit that point as well. Uh, and I have found that we are this generation who's really changing the way we talk about food, right? Yeah. We have a food. huge food wound. You know, I grew up on Totino's pizza for sure and antibiotics, <laughs> you know, yeah, like the sure. whole like leaky gut you know, trying to repair the gut, trying to to actually nourish ourselves through food is something I feel like the Chiron Taurus generation is steamrolling, is 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 taking the wound of malnutrition, of not having mom at home, not being nurtured in that way. Uh, and we're we're revolutionizing that that element. And it'll be really interesting how Taurus, uh, this whole Taurus Uranus thing is gonna affect that. Just as a side note, that's kind of interesting. So, right. I, I agree. I, I think that uh, he he is, I feel similarly that he is one of the most important elements of my chart. Uh, I feel that very deeply because it is that festering wound. You know, for example, if I grew up on Totina's Pizza's and antibiotics the way I did, I have to heal that. I really do. We didn't know back then in the early 80s what that would do to our health. And so it is this constant thing that I'm driving, that's driving me to evolve and I can't really explain it. And it's it's there and I'm trying to, to work with that. And so, you know, I, I'm thinking about how Chiron is starting his whole new journey through the 12 signs, right, as well. So moving mm-hmm. into to, into Aries, this is the beginning of a new healing journey that we're, we're all upon or, or, or something, to, so to speak. But I, I really am so pleased he's moving into Aries right now after t- uh, Uranus has left because I think there has been a lot of changes in how we identify with ourselves and then in relationship to others, because of course, Libra is the polarity to Aries. And for those of us who also have Pluto and Libra, it's going to be an interesting thing to see about how we heal our identity of ourselves so that we can be in better relationship with other, right? Because I think we've found that these social medias have actually ripped us of the the nuanced beauty of of conversation, right. Of, of sitting down with somebody and, you know, we're doing this interview in person. Like we chose to do this in person and not through the interwebs. 
which is really interesting. Uh, this is type of the type of medicine I think Chiron is going to bring to us is the desire to actually come back to a, a different self of a new evolved sense of self where it can be more grounded and in person and we can take our relationships deeper than we had before. And I'm actually really, you know, compelled about how Chiron's move through Pisces has been very healing in terms of giving us revolutionary drugs like plant medicines. And, um, you know, we're, we're now starting to see pill forms of, of mushrooms for PTSD put into pill forms for veterans and things of that nature. And how we saw this incredible journey through Pisces of opening us up to new healthcare modalities and yoga and meditation and things of that nature. And you can really, again, we talked about this on the first episode, the best way to know these transits is to look at your chart. So where have you experienced Chiron and Pisces? Where is Pisces in your chart? To really understand your own relationship with Chiron. I mean, the best places to start is your chart. Um, you know, I've had him in my 10th house, for example. I've I've seen a lot of wounds come to the surface around giving my, because I of a lack of boundaries, giving my power away to people in my work environment, for example, that's been a big theme for me. So it's a really great way to look back on these transits. And just to kind of plow through this, I want to go then into the whole sign conversation, because of course, the three of us do use whole sign primarily in our practices. And one of the questions I got from one of the listeners is why, why whole sign give us, you know, give us some more clarity on why you choose whole sign as your preferred house house method. So I think we should give it, it to the, the best house to the, system, right? <laughs> right. It is yeah. the best house yeah. system. Literally the best house system is, was the title of a talk that I gave once that got me in a lot of trouble. Yes, it did. The, it attracted me to listen to it. Oh, yeah, did it? I loved that. Yeah, because I could the controversy I could feel, did? No, that, the tongue-in-cheek title. Oh, did it? Okay, that's. I appreciate you Absolutely. saying that because yeah. I got so much flack for that that I always regretted to just titling it that. Uh, so I appreciate hearing that. Well, that's how I think. It's like my sense of humor. I was like, right. oh, well, it was okay. supposed to be funny, but instead, like, yeah. <laughs> people just... don't have a sense of humor. Like the moment I said, there's like, there's no way in hell Chris means that he's too professional for that. Well, and what I said at the end of the lecture, which everyone ignored was like, it doesn't matter what house system you use, but just my, the point of this lecture is to encourage you to have a good reason for using it and to like think and reflect on the reason why you use this house system rather than another, and that the purpose of what I tried to do with this lecture was outline all of the reasons why I prefer to use whole sign houses in my own personal practice, but that ultimately I think a synthesis of some of the different approaches to house division is desirable, and I hope that that's accomplished in my lifetime, and that's something I'm working towards, but for now, the primary system that I use is whole sign houses, and that's how I ended the lecture on this beautiful note of uh unity and and then it just like devolved into because I <laughs> because I decided to title it like literally the best house system just to like be a clickbait funny tongue-in-cheek title and yeah, that blew up in my face. <laughs> totally worked. <laughs> but sometimes like it's such a Iranian thing. Sometimes we have to just put ourselves out there so blastic blasphemically can i use that sure is it a word i made up blasphemously. yeah to be blasphemic with like uh, you know just to create change right sometimes we have to just say something so radical to stir up the pot to get 
Yeah, like men are better astrologers. Right. (laughs) Uh, Ouch. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Knowing that all you listeners are women. Yeah, let's not go. I'm kidding, ladies. (laughs) So with with whole sign houses, I mean, one of the things, well, this is a good point, actually. One of the things that I always tell people, if one of the points in favor of whole sign houses, I say it's something you can test really easily and reliably by looking at sign ingresses because with whole sign houses as soon as a planet moves into a new sign it's also moving into a new house in your chart and you'll oftentimes not long after the ingress you'll start to see the topics associated with that house come up into play so you know discussing chiron for example like if chiron is a planet that you use commonly you should pay attention to this ingress or Mm -hmm. go back and look at past ingresses And see if the themes associated with that house started coming into play once it changed signs and see if they started to sort of move out of your life once it moved into the next sign. Absolutely. And the best way to test these house systems is to test your own chart. And that's what that's why I migrated over to whole sign because for a number of reasons, but the the progressions were undeniable. You know, the moon progressions were undeniable. Uh, the themes of the house changed as well as the sign. Uh, whereas from like a porphyrous perspective that I was using, it would have been ingressing into uh, different houses at the time. And then the Saturn transit for me is so cut and dry. Like I can't deny those transits. And yeah. and so, but it, the best way, again, if you're listening to this and you're trying to decide which house system you want, you have to just go with your own experience of your chart ultimately. And the three of us here have felt that whole sign made more sense for us. Um, that's why we chose it, right? So w- what are your thoughts on whole sign, Adam? I will say that a huge part of my transition was actually thanks to that lecture. Me too. Okay. Because I listened to it and then I read uh, a few of Rob's articles on it. Mm-hmm. I think I even listened to Demetra say something. And, you know, she has a really great quote, as Rob does too, but the one I often... Uh, say to people, because I'm not trying to enforce this on my clients, like when they see their chart and they're like, oh my God, yeah, like this is not my chart. I'm just like, please, all I'm asking is entertain what we're about to do. And then if you don't like it fully, you can do it. But I actually have never experienced someone going through that experience with me and being like, no, that wasn't true. Right. Which also can be a seed for one of the other questions of what happens yeah. when something isn't landing. But uh, no, it's been a really pleasant experience. And for me, I was, since the beginning of my studies of astrology, always frustrated by house systems. The only way I can really describe it is there was something off. Yeah. Always. Mm -hmm. Like when I was doing it. So I started, like most people, with Placidus. And then I moved to Porphyry because of the EA influence. And then, I forget the guy's name, I listened to a lecture about Equal. And I was studying Vedic Mm -hmm. astrology at the time. So like I moved into Equal. So it's equal whole sign kind of in, in, in Jyotish. I used equal forever. Like mm. that's what was my standard for a really long time. And then I listened to that lecture, did some digging, did the testing. And what was really fascinating about being, or, about doing the testing was I did it with three. So like doing you know once in a lifetime transit with outer planets, progressions, et cetera, is that I could see the relevance of like an ingress in my equal chart, I could see there was like a certain kind of theme that was there. Mm -hmm. In my porphyry chart, it was also kind of present. But when the whispers and the theme really like turned over was undeniable with whole sign. 
So we're talking about Chiron. And mm-hmm. when Chiron officially moved, you know, securely into Pisces was in the uh, spring of 2011 as well. Yep. With the, with the Uranus thing. So he's kind of been following Uranus mm-hmm. in this portion of his orbit. And, I mean, the day of the ingress was the day I got on a plane leaving the longest relationship I've ever been in in my life, and it moved into my seventh house. Wow. Wow. When Chiron moved into Pisces. Pisces. Wow. It was the day of my flight. Wow. Wow. And, I mean, it was the hardest decision I've ever made in that department of my life, and it began this journey that is now ending, which is Mm -hmm. really interesting for me because there has been a lot that has come up from that perspective. And what degree is your ascendant? Six. Okay, so it's like... And it happened that day. So basically, it wouldn't be in your seventh house until it got into like six six degrees or seven degrees of Pisces, which would have taken a while, like until it got. It was maybe in 2011. I don't have you know the exact transit dates, but when I was doing that, so I'd look at equal and like see it, and then what I would also see is like, oh, that's curious, because there would be a, a manifestation of say like my rebounding heart. Right. After that, like making a mistake, that mm. would be at six degrees because it's still my descendant. Right. right. Yeah. So there's still, that's still like the peak, the highest sort of intensity of that house is still going to be the degree of the ascendant. But it's crazy how sometimes you'll see the themes start coming into play as soon as the sign ingress takes place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what you see when you're looking at these transits. I've had the same when Saturn hit my, because I'm a 29 degree Gemini. When Saturn hit Sagittarius from a porphyry house system, it would have been in my sixth house. But that was a massive breakup for me when Saturn hit my hit Sagittarius and from a whole sign perspective, my seventh house. Yep. And it was all about relationship and yeah. restructuring my relationship and then leaving Saturn, leaving the seventh, leaving me with the relationship. So and which would have not left the seventh yet according to like the porphyry chart system. So so hold on, your ascendant's 29. Yeah. It's an anoretic degree. Yeah. So that's, I think, one of the questions Yeah, one of the well. questions is right here. It says, I'm considering switching to whole sign, but I'm really right. struggling with the fact that many people have their ascendants in midheaven in the last decan or last few degrees of each sign. It just doesn't make sense to me to use this method when that's the case. How do you handle this? Just business as usual? Thanks. Right. So you're the answer then. So That's you're the answer one of those for absolutely. People. And and because I had to, my entire, I had studied for seven years using Porphyry and gotten really comfortable with my chart from that house system. And when I shifted. I remember you had a breakdown. Like I you, had a full breakdown. Like you came to me one day and you're like, can we meet up? Because I am I really need to talk about this. And we met up at a coffee shop and just like you were processing for like an hour this shift. Because yeah. it, it's not just like astrologers really when they learn astrology they internalize a lot about their chart and what that means for their life and what it doesn't mean for their life and when you change something that significant like house systems it really changes your perspective on like your whole life and your outlook Mm -hmm. and all these other things yeah Hmm. i mean i had moon shift from the 11th to the 12th you know i had you know my uranus jupiter neptune move from the sixth to the seventh i mean it was huge. My son was luckily didn't move much itself. Uh, yeah. And, but the thing is, is that's like you were saying, there's something off about it when it was in Porphyry. Like I never resonated with the moon in my 11th. Never. That was never something that felt right. And Chiron was in my 11th. That didn't feel right. I've had plenty of friends. I've had a great community experience. 
moving into the 12th. That made sense for my moon, for Chiron, for everything. And and so to answer that question some more, again, it's it, 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 when you really check in honestly with yourself, and especially like I was a practicing astrologer. I had clients. Right. And I had, I had to transition hundreds of clients that I was reading their chart from that perspective into whole sign. So that was huge. And yeah, I took six months off of astrology yeah. at that point. Because of that? Oh, God, yeah. Demetra oh, wow. George did this. She took like a year or two off from doing clients when she went through that transition yeah. a decade or two ago. I lost confidence in astrology. How could it be that difference? You know, I lost it, it it rattled me very, very severely. It'd be interesting to see the transit I had when when this when this flip happened. But uh, but it, I landed, and, and like you said, I've never met with a client since that they're like, yeah, this is not right. Definitely stick to the Placidus or whatever. Like they they always, as you're reading their chart, they get it. It resonates for them. Mm. But every once in a while, something I say doesn't resonate with a client. And this is addressing Kate's question, which I think we all really. Oh, you're doing a transition there. I that's did a, a transition that's, there. That's a nice, nice, nice that's a smooth transition. Thank you. Thank you. You must have learned that somewhere <laughs> from Chiron. Right. So Kate asks a, a great question, and we really wanted to make sure we addressed this. And it says, what, did you, what do you do when you feel like you're missing the mark with a client? For example, if you feel like you see something significant and it's not landing, does that ever still happen to you? Yes. How do you navigate that space as a professional? I can't wait for this episode. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> it's coming, Kate. It's here. So we all really like loved this question uh, because we've experienced it, you know, yeah. speaking to a client and it just not landing. So well, it's one of those things that every practicing astrologer will experience at some point, not because like astrology is bogus and doesn't work. And that's like an occasional period when it's obvious because that's not actually the case. It's that there's many different reasons why that sometimes happens. And like experiencing that for yourself and then coming to understand why that happened is part of the process of becoming and being a professional astrologer that sees clients. Yeah. It's a huge learning curve that. Yeah. Yeah. It happens and it still happens. Mm -hmm. Happened to me on Wednesday. Yeah. That's a frequent in, in class. So I do a chart oh. example. Ooh. And at the end of every one of my classes, like mm -hmm. we do these two things, a mystery chart that they get to study. And they don't know who it is. So we, you know, everyone chimes in and, and offers their two cents about the chart. And then like I'd say eight times out of ten, they guess who the person is. So it's someone in the class. No, no, it's a oh. celebrity. Oh, okay. Always. And it's never like too obscure. Okay. But a celebrity, like this time it was James Franco. Okay. Uh, and then I give a reading. We have a time I, chart for him, for James Franco? I don't think it's the right time. Okay, just yeah. curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I give him a Scorpio rising, though, because of the Me Too movement. Okay. I dig that. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, 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 my point is the, the mystery chart that I was doing, not a mystery chart, the class example, because I think it's really important for students to see you in action. Yeah, like Giving a absolutely. reading. Like, that's really important. I do, do that with my students as well, yeah. And I, I I was giving this this reading, and and she had Mercury as an evening star in Virgo, pretty strongly placed mm -hmm. in her chart, and so I was basically working around that it was a Mercury class, mm -hmm. right? And so I gave all of these significations and ideas about this Mercury in her chart, and she straight out just said, "Nope, right? Nope." Well, one of the 
ideas that I also teach and hold very true is that the chart doesn't lie. Mm. And so when that comes up, I'm not like at this point, like it doesn't affect me emotionally. I'm not like, Oh no, God, what do I do now? You don't get like self-conscious or think like, Oh, it's maybe, maybe I'm not right. Or maybe Mm -mm. it's wrong. Because I know at the beginning, probably in the beginning. Yeah. You get sweaty palms and you start just talking circles around yourself and, so that happened, and that's like part of the education process because there was like, you know, 26 people witnessing this happen. And so, okay, like I know that's a strong Mercury placement in the chart. There's no doubt in my mind. So I went deeper into it. I'm like, okay, like you don't resonate with that. And I can't like give the specific examples, but they're really good um, uh, around this. But there was you know, an aspect, two of them actually, that started to tell the story a little bit better. Like it was in conjunct her moon. Mm. And then what wasn't visible in the chart, because like as I teach, like we start, for example, only putting the sun in the chart when we do the sun class. That's all they see. Yeah. And then it's sun and the moon yeah. and then et cetera. So this was sun, moon, Chir- or Mercury. That's all they could see. Right. And the angles. That's it. So we couldn't see anything else. Obviously, there's mitigating factors if like she's not resonating with it. But um, just with what I brought up around the in conjunct, like started to like open up the story a little bit. And then post class, she wrote me yep. this long thing about like, I'm so sorry. Like, actually, this is my experience of it. And you were like spot on. I just for some reason like had like this brain fart. Like during it. I'm like, it's cool. You made me look stupid on the spot. But <laughs> but like, you know, like you just have to know that the chart doesn't lie. And if if you know something, then it you might not know exactly how it manifests. And in this case it was a very unique manifestation. Mm-hmm. of it but i knew it was there right like it's absolutely going to be there and so just like having that confidence that the chart doesn't lie and then just keep asking questions yeah. until you basically find it and you're like ah here it is right you couldn't see it but like now we're here together so yeah. how can we work with it well and ultimately this is why people come to us is for self understanding for yeah. self knowledge and there are elements of our chart that hide until they want to be seen, right? Sure. So myself, I've been looking at my chart for 10 years, pretty much every day of those 10 years, and I still find things. So I'm like, oh, I can't believe I didn't see that. I cannot, I did not see that. And so I think that the chart opens up as we open up. And so when clients are seeing these, or when we're, we're reflecting things upon a client, maybe there's a couple of things. Maybe the client's not ready to see it. That's pretty common. Uh, and sometimes, because I have the same situation where a lot of times I'll be sitting with a client, and I'm, you know, and we're trying to work around it and ask around it and really try to understand how is this not resonating for you? And I'll get an email afterwards. That happens. Oh, <laughs> Popping some of that. What is one? it called? Yeah, Chris, awesome. Chris needs more. Yeah, I'll take so some this more. Is, this is time for another plug for Adams. <laughs> yeah, John. Homebrew. Anybody uh, in Colorado, if you need some John, I'm your man. I can highly recommend <laughs> and endorse, and I'm not being paid yet to, <laughs> to say that. It's great for astrology readings. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah that I would pour be really... people a glass or right. my tea set right there. Awesome. <laughs> I do that. Keep so this, just to reiterate for people that didn't hear it before, and the what previous are you one on my show, yeah. right? Thanks, and this, how very Chiron and Taurus of you. Yeah, I'm right? a whole medicine guy, right? I like feeding the, the 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 actual medicine while doing the the chart reading. That's it's right. it's brilliant. The best. Go on. So anyway, so I think that 
you know, there, there's that. And then every once in a while, we were talking about this too before we recorded. I have had the situation, not like a lot, but enough times to discuss that I will be sitting with somebody and looking at their chart and about sometimes even like 30, 45 minutes and they have said no to everything I've said. And in those cases, you really start to just when I was a newer astrologer, I just got insecure and I got the sweaty palms and the, oh gosh, what what's off here? What's off here? Every once in a while, it's the wrong time. So I don't know if that's happened to you guys. Oh, where, yeah, yeah, that's nightmare well, scenario. Yeah. <laughs> and daylight savings oh, programs yeah. not yeah. doing it properly for you. Right. Or like there's some older people from like the 1940s born in Chicago and, then, yes. and there's like weird rules like yep. daylight savings time was in effect, but they had to write it down without it being in effect, or there was like some weird thing like that. And uh, I'd say that's always where you should start. If a client is just not getting it, then d- check the time. That's well, check the, the time at the beginning check. of the Well, meeting. of course, always, always. do that, yeah. but sometimes they might go back and find out they had the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Like they'll call their mom and get the birth certificate, and it's actually a different time than they had told you. Or sometimes if they if they're born really their ascendants really close to this goes back to the whole sign thing. Right. If they have like 29 rising or if they have zero degrees yeah. on the ascendant, sometimes check the time, see if it's rounded, because it might actually be one rising sign or another the other, which changes if you're using a whole sign changes all the house placements mm-hmm. that can really mess things up. Yeah. Right. So if you are starting to read charts, that is the first thing you do is double check the time. That is number one first thing I do with a client every single time. Is this the right time? Yes. Because, you know, I didn't do that at the very beginning of my practice. So so if it's the right time and I'm about 30, 45 minutes in and nothing is landing, I will simply look at the client and say, I'm going to just stop now. Why are you here? Mm-hmm. Why, are, why have you invested your time and money in me and everything I'm saying you are rejecting? Usually I will bring it back to a signature in the chart. I get this a lot of times with uh, Scorpio risings, actually. And Mercury and Scorpio. Yeah. Which where... you have, right? Or do, you, do you have that? I have Mercury and Scorpio. Yeah. Oh, you do? I have a funny anecdote about Scorpio risings, though. Every astrologer I know that doesn't like sharing their birth time, every single one of them, it's turned Scorpio out that they've rising. had Scorpio rising. Right. Uh, and I'm ta- I mean, I'm talking about like one or two. I'm talking about like, like it's like a 10 or like a dozen at this point. Oh, yeah. And, and, wow. and there's because when we think about Scorpio rising, we think about a certain resistance or a lack of trust can be the situation a lot of times with those charts. I'm not ready to trust you to show you who... Who, what's really going on here. Mm-hmm. And so so what what I do when I get into those blocked moments, if it's like a, a severe block where just nothing is landing with the client, I use it as a therapeutic opportunity. Do you have this experience with people in your life? Is this just with me? Or do, is this something you regularly experience? And let's talk about why. Why, why are you resisting me so much? What don't you want me to see about you? So I'll really turn it into something therapeutic if I can. And usually that breaks something. It usually, they realize, wow, I do resist people seeing me. And that gives a, creates a, a sense of trust and comfort so that we can just then get back into little bits, like to the sun. Well, let's just go back to the sun then. Basic stuff, right? So that's one of the ways I address that situation. Sure. Yeah. And I was trying to write down really quickly because there's like a bunch of different reasons I've run into of scenarios for this when you're doing a consultation and it's not quite hitting right. And it's like, 
the scenario you mentioned is really funny, Adam, because I had an experience with that where I was at a, a astrology retreat and I agreed to do this thing where we all agreed to delineate a person's chart publicly in front of the entire conference. Mm. And we all did. And it was like a mystery chart. And then the person was supposed to come up afterwards and say, who got what right? And there was like, I think four of us. And we all were focusing in, but me especially, I was focusing in on this one area of the chart. And I made some very specific statements about it. And um, the person got up and she was like, she didn't really acknowledge anything as being true. Uh, which was weird because it made it look like we all got it wrong. And then later what we heard from the organizers is she confessed that something had happened in her life in that specific area, but it was so traumatic that she didn't feel comfortable acknowledging it when she got up to talk about everything after all the readings were done. So each of the astrologers had in some way like zoomed in on that area and mentioned something about it, some more than others, but the client wasn't a client. It was just this random person just wasn't comfortable admitting it. Mm -hmm. So that's a possible scenario. Other scenarios are like, I had this one where it hadn't happened yet, where mm. this person had this really important placement. It was actually my partner, Lisa, had this really important placement of like the ruler of the ninth and the 11th. And I was like, this seems like getting involved in like astrology groups or perhaps being um, taking a leadership role because <laughs> it was also tied with the midheaven. And she's like, no, I have no interest in that. And I have so, I not only have no interest in that, I have such an aversion to that, that that's like, the worst possible delineation. Like she was just like, and and no, no uncertain, in no uncertain terms. And now you just put your feet up, like told you, right? Yeah, she's no. like <laughs> super involved now. Right. Like, 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 like any argument, I can just be like, remember that time yeah, where yeah. I, I said totally. that you would become a leader of the astrological community. Well, she became like the president of one of the big astrology organizations, and is now over the past three or to four years has been involved in putting on the United Astrology Conference. Yeah. She's like one of the three presidents doing that. Um, so that was something where it was in the chart, but it just hadn't been activated yet. And it was something that eventually was, and then it made sense, but it, it didn't at the time. And that's something I've seen in a lot of other clients' charts because you just have to understand that not all parts of the chart are necessarily going to be evident, you know, at that specific moment in time that your path happens to intersect the path of the client. And actually, just to to go off of that, before the podcast, I refused to read charts for people before 27. It was something I had decided to not do because I had read charts for people at like 21, 23, and I was reading a chart of a chart that hadn't quite filled up yet, filled out yet. You know, we think about in psychology that the, the frontal cortex actually comes in at 30. And so anything up to 30 is just a growing foundation of your story in life. The story isn't complete really until after Saturn return from a, from a purely psychological perspective. Once we move it past that Saturn return, once that frontal cortex comes in, then we have this foundational history that we're, that we're working off of, that we're healing, that we're growing from. And that's why I wasn't reading charts for younger people until the podcast, because now I get a lot more younger people coming. And so I've, I've made some adjustments to my practice but I felt it was almost futile mm. in a lot of respects because, you know, I, I'll never forget. I read a, a, a chart for someone at 20 and I was talking about their parents and like the, the home they were born in. And they did, they still hadn't seen their parents as separate from themselves. Their development hadn't, they hadn't even come into their third Saturn, you know, you know, 
situation. Square. Okay. The square. And so they were they hadn't even individuated enough from their parents to see them as a story of their foundation yet. Oh, that's my parents and this is me. And so I I think that's very important that you bring up that point. Yeah. Let me just rattle off the few other ones. So you didn't use the exact right words. Like sometimes if you use like one word, but you didn't use like this synonym that means exactly the same thing, but the client just doesn't recognize the word as being like meaning the same thing. But then later in the consultation, it'll get repeated, but a different word will get used and then a light will click on and they'll be like, oh yeah, that was true. Mm -hmm. Um, But you just didn't say it exactly right. Have you guys had that? Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's that opens up really the essence of of what I teach in working with people. And that is finding their language. Yeah. Like knowing what their language is. And mm-hmm. that like happens within the rapport building stage in the beginning of the consult, right? Like I usually give like 10 plus minutes just to like riff and try to make them laugh, try to like make them comfortable, like do my best to like make sure that like, oh, we're here together. Like we're cool. We're friends. And it, it helps because that's one of the questions too about like, what's it like with podcasts and clients? I forget the specific nature of the question, but that actually helps me a lot because they're already so familiar with me yeah, that like sure. the rapport has already been built. Sure. But still, like if I'm giving a reading to like someone's grandmother or whatever, like I'm still going to like find her language and everything. And then like the real art is being able to listen very keenly to like their metaphors because everyone has these phrases that they use to describe certain elements of their life and who they are. And when you hold on to those and then you feed those back to people, like you're just mirroring what they are. Like it, there's a lot of effect that that has that that can be talked about. But the main thing it does is like you're using their language, and then what I do is elaborate on their language and like give myself the permission to add to the metaphor mm-hmm. and then use it to relate to what we're actually talking about. And so I'm not in a way fishing for something that would be relatable to them. I already have it. Mm-hmm. That's the way they described their divorce. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm gonna take that language and then use it and then talk about Saturn transiting the seventh house then. Yeah. It's, it's a life hack in a way because yeah. you don't, I mean, you don't have to have, I don't know, worry around preparing like the perfect thing to say or, or, right. or words because the person that you're working with is going to have them for you. Right. Letting the client lead once again, yeah. you know, and yeah. really adapting to, 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 to their vocabulary is part of that. And I want to circle back around to what you mentioned with the conference situation. Um, and this is going to be a sort of plug for what I do, which is I'm I'm building supervision groups for astrologers who utilizing my counseling skills. So that what I used, what I learned about in, in therapy school, my hope is to 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 have practicing astrologers who have maybe learned from you boys who are actually out there in the field now come and and I want to be a support system for these situations because what you just named there is dissociation. When they- when the woman it triggered something so deep in her that she had dissociated, that she had split off in her her psychology at some point, possibly. Well, that happened. That definitely happens. Like when the right. client, that was the last one, when the client doesn't recognize that what you're saying is true, even though it actually is in right. their life. This was more just like it literally wasn't true, but it would be later on when the person was like 10 years older. 
Sure, sure. Yeah. And so, so right. So, but to, to dovetail off of what you're just saying, I think that the, the human mind is fragile and it is resilient. And when we go through trauma, the brain will do what it does to survive. And oftentimes, if it's something incredibly traumatic, it will split off that situation. It'll split that. It'll lock it down in the limbic system and not access it until it gets triggered. And again, what we have as astrologers is the ability to trigger dissociated parts in people's psychology. And that can be dangerous and scary because what do we do when we trigger something that's been dissociated, when a person has functioned for 30 years, let's say, forgetting that trauma existed and we see it and we name it and it triggers it. And then we close our, our, our desktop or we close our computer screen after our consultation and they go live their life. That dissociated part activated. It can really wreak havoc on someone's psychology. And there are ways to address those traumas in a way that can be less harmful. Um, there, there's ways you can actually psychologically reach into those. And, and part of that is creating a certain kind of containment for the client. Like if you're saying something, you're like this and, and you're, you're probing and they're like, no, no. And like you said, the chart doesn't lie. That's a, 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 a red flag to me to be very careful about how I address this topic and how it can be damaging if I address it very aggressively or without any containment. So a lot of times with clients, if I have triggered something in them and then it finally comes to because it's ready to be awoken in their psychology, I spend the next half of the session containing that memory. And there's ways that you can actually do that physiologically. Um, There's ways you can do that psychologically. That's what we have learned in therapy school because that's kind of what we do there. Um, As therapists, as psychologists, that's what we do is we learn how to protect those split dissociated parts of people's psychologies. And again, this circles back to our conversation in round one on Chris's podcast. We are very powerful as astrologers and, and, and there is a, there's a oath of astrologers that astrologers are meant to take. And I don't think that that is enforced because of the internet. Anyone can learn astrology now and anyone can do it. And for those of you who are wanting to see clients, be aware how powerful you are seeing what people don't want you to see. That is so important to remember that this isn't, this isn't like silly work. This is a profession. This is a very important profession that must be taken seriously because you're, you're, people's lives are in your hands. I mean, I don't want to get really dark. I know we need to end this conversation, but I have people coming to me questioning if they should be alive still. Mm. That comes to me, right? How do you deal with that? And this is why I want to build a support network for practicing astrologers to create more healthy boundaries, tools, and skills using mental health therapists, using psychologists, using alternative practitioners to actually create a container for us because let's not forget that these sessions affect us <laughs> hugely. Yeah. And and we have to learn boundaries as astrologers as well cuz we hear a lot. <laughs> Things that sometimes one of the questions we got is like what is the craziest thing that has happened in a reading? And we've shared our stories and it's it's intense. You can intense things can happen in a session. I've 
at some point had people suicidal in my in my sessions and I have had to have police enforcement come in and things of that nature to keep the clients safe. So these, you know, I don't mean to bring this into a dark place or anything, but this is my personal um I don't want to call it a mission, but it's kind of like my personal mission with astrology is to create a more professional contained space for it. Um, because this is so much powerful than like, it's like being a doctor. I don't know how else to compare it. You know, there's a lot of responsibility reading someone's chart. So I'm plugging my services that if, if Kate, you or anybody else is feeling that you need more support as a practicing astrologer, accessible astrology is hell bent on becoming the space for that. Um, granted, I'm in the move to Egypt right now, so supervision group is on pause. Um, but once I get settled again, that is where I'm going to pick up again and keep trying to um, create that that environment for this for this field. Awesome! That sounds like really good good work. Working <laughs> on it, you know. Yeah. And again, I, I there's an episode I share um, a couple episodes back, and it's called uh, Accessible Astrology and Manifesto, and I share my experience when a therapist crossed my boundaries. And how detrimental that was to my psychology. And I use that my personal experience because it's my Chiron, right? Like mm-hmm. it is that wound of being crossed so severely by a therapist and having her really fuck my brain up has led me to go into the field of therapy. That's why I went to psychology schools to figure out how she did that and why did she do that and how did she get away with it and how can I do that? And now, I have met astrologers, not you boys, but I've met astrologers who are crossing boundaries and there's, it is happening in this field. And it really, really bothers me, really bothers me. And so I am going to do everything I can to align myself to people who I think are practicing, practicing ethical astrology and to continue to build that side of it. Awesome. <laughs> Praise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Preach>. <laughs> Yeah, it's something, I mean, I'll just comment to it too, that I've always been quite sensitive to. And it goes back to, of course, my dad um, and those practices of being a good dad, being good to my mom and stuff like that. You know, it's with my son, Chiron is. So mm, right. there's that, but it's also, it's son, Mars, Chiron. And so I had some pretty traumatic uh, experiences with coaches Yeah, growing up, like really crazy, like borderline traumatic, I would say. Yeah. And then in everything I've ever been into, there's always been this like really deep sensitivity that I have mm-hmm. to the the charlatans and the ones who are crossing boundaries. Yeah. And it's a terrifying thing in the two worlds that I have been in most of my adult life, which is plant medicine and astrology, because so much lifetime damage can be done. In both of those realms. Absolutely. With those. And of course, it's usually men. And it is, I don't know, it, it just, it's tough. It's its really tough. And I think, you know, Chris, what you and Rick did on the show was a really, it was a good strategy, I think, of bringing something up in a community. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was like pretty healthy because it was pretty obvious how horrible like that character's actions have been. Sure. I don't know him personally. But like, do you know what I'm talking about? Did you listen to their show? I didn't. Sorry about it. But it was just I don't I don't want to bring that up. It's it's off topic. But when it comes down to these astrologers in the community, yeah, 
It's like, how do we deal with it? I don't yeah. Because my reaction was some of the encounters in the past has been to out them mm. and to talk about it. And, you know, thank God I have good friends. And they're like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Like, We've had that conversation, you and I. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And I, I get that's the right path, but also, and I also get that, like, karma has a way of working its way out through people. And so, like, why should I feel like I have a role to dabble with it? Um, and my conclusion is I don't. But, like, conversations like you had with Rick, conversations like we're having now brings awareness to that. And maybe even, like, doing a podcast on your show, I don't know if I'll do it, of, like, the telltale signs of this, yeah. right? Of, like, yeah. what does it mean when an astrologer is stepping over the line? Yeah. What does it mean? You know, because it, it's 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 a weird one. You yeah. know, like, we're sexual monkeys. Yeah. And there there's things that we do, like, when we connect with people and everything like that. And, I mean, there's so and much. Feelings come up. Feelings come yeah. up, definitely. And, like, I think we'd all be lying if we didn't feel an attraction at some point to right. someone we work with totally. or a client or whatever. It's just how you deal with that. Yep. And I mean, that's, that's the work of honor. And that's the thing is, you know, if you, if you're listening to this and you're, you're wondering how can I know who, who to trust, trust your gut, <laughs> you will know if, if, if somebody, if, if you get a kind of off feeling about someone, trust that. And, and I mean that, you know, especially in the field of astrology and also we all of us have to to learn to 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 build our boundaries because I'm sure I've crossed my boundary as an astrologer. I know I have. Yeah. I know I have gone against my own ethical belief system because there is nothing holding me accountable in this field. So I have also crossed it. And and it's it's been really hard for me because I learned, you know, I went to graduate school and the number one thing was like client therapist, period. Nothing else. There can be nothing else. And there's a reason for that. There are reason there are laws around this. You the psychological damage is possible. And and I've had to, because I, I don't have um a, a support group, I haven't had a support group. I've built a support group of of supervising therapists and people that I can go to in these scenarios and say, hey, can you check me? Like, did I cross a boundary? Because sometimes we can get blurred because like you're saying. Sometimes you just meet a client and you're like, damn, I want to know you, <laughs> you know, like your chart and my chart, they go well together. And I want to know you, you know, whether, you know, it's friendship or things. And we have to really be clear. Where do we go with that? How do we work with that? And I think that as this renaissance of astrology continues to increase, there's going to have to be boundaries built and structures built at some point. We're going to have to take it out of this more Piscean this is a spiritual thing. It's absolutely spiritual, but it is absolutely practical too. That we got to bring in the Virgo element of it. You know, again, keep in mind Chiron has been in Pisces. So this modality of healing has really grown and blown up, but there hasn't been anything in Virgo to ground it. Me. And, 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 and Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and you know, but you know, like, and that's why money is important, right? Yes, like if if you're not charging for a reading, then all of a sudden the boundaries are blurred. You know, there's all these things. Money is important for a reason. You know, having your clients sign something before you read their chart is important for a reason, and so on and so forth. And so, um, so you know, I would be 
uh, a hypocrite if I said I hadn't crossed boundaries with my my clients as well because I've met people at acupuncture studios and coffee shops to read their charts in a public setting and it kind of naturally blurs that boundary. So how do I hold that integrity? And and this is something I think that we're going to start to learn in this field. And I, I really hope that I'm a part of that that movement to bring more professionality um, um, to this because too many astrologers are getting away with things that are, in my opinion, um, vile, vile and disgusting. And um, it bothers me, especially as a woman. I mean, but it's not, I mean, one of the things though is it's not like the vast majority of astrologers no. are good, honest, kind-hearted people. Cause that's one of the things I, I think I just wanted to make a point to say, because oftentimes from an outsider's perspective, like skeptics, skeptics mm-hmm. are constantly trying to convince people that all astrologers are charlatans and mm-hmm. crooks mm-hmm. and are out to cheat you or something like right. that. But when you come into the community, you realize that most astrologers are, are good people. Right. So while they're occasionally it'll run into like a bad actor in the astrological community, it stands out because it's kind of unique and rare. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, I've had Chiron in my 10th house, right? So Chiron and Pisces in my 10th house has shown me what happens when I don't have boundaries and work. Mm-hmm. Right. Neptune is there. It's going to be there for a while. So this is my curriculum. This is part of my story and it's part of my medicine. Right. And so you're right. It would be insane to say all astrologers do this because they don't. There are some that do. And that's all. And that's that's in every profession and, and learning to trust your gut and empower yourself is is my biggest recommendation to to clients and future clients. So. And I'll add one last thought. Please. Because I'm all talked out. Yeah. So, <laughs> At the mar- end of the trialogue. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's so important that you bring that point up. And it's something that I do think relates to Chiron. It's very Chironic in the sense that the bad apple analogy, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a couple people or maybe even, even it's just one right. in right. the community. And then all of a sudden it's all, right? Right. Now – Here's what also takes place in our lives. Because if it strikes a chord, like in the reading, or how about in our lives as professionals, Absolutely. as podcasters, one nasty comment that's in the midst of 20 amazing ones, how that one comment will destroy you yeah. unless you have discernment and skills of knowing how to compost it and realize, no. And I, I think it's 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 true in in so many different ways. And when you when you stretch that to your life, with wherever the origin of the Chiron story is, it's one event. And one of them, I've I've been lucky because during a holotropic breathwork session, I actually my intention was to understand the origin of my Chiron story. Mm. And I saw it. Like I saw it in 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 the breathwork session, and it was this moment. When I got out of the shower and I was a kid, and my I think it was my it was my dad that said that, you know, I have a terrible voice, just like he does, and the rest of the family, like everyone, like we we can't sing. Cause I was like super into singing my guns and roses and stuff like that <laughs> in the in the shower when I was a little kid. And like that was so subtle. It didn't affect me that much in the moment, but like it like a virus just like got deep into my head. And then I manifested these experiences mm-hmm. throughout my life to where I would I would encounter a similar theme. Mm-hmm. And then it kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. So for me, it's Chiron in the ninth house, very close to my Mercury. 
And I was very aware when I started the podcast that it was actually me addressing Chiron. Mm. That I do have something to say, that there will be people out there that will listen to me. And I don't care if they don't like my voice. I'm also going to share my music as well Mm. and see how all that goes. Mm. Now, it's almost been 10 years doing this. Obviously, people like to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And one of the main comments, strangely enough, that I get from everyone is about my voice. Absolutely. Mm. So, like, I mean, I intentionally went in. Being like, all right, let's do this. And I hated it. Like, I wanted to delete every episode I ever did. <laughs> I still have it. Me too. I still have it. Like, I'll do an episode. I'm like, God, I gotta right. delete it. Am I really putting that into the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. But, like, I'm so aware of it thanks to astrology yeah. that I'm like, okay, I can identify this theme. And then, like, 10 years later, look back and be like, wow, mm-hmm. like, that's the journey of Chiron. Mm-hmm. It's like, I thought it was this. Mm-hmm. And then now, because I put it out to the world, that world is responding to it incredibly differently. Mm-hmm. So the rotten apple idea, like, and however you want to work with that, like, it's really, really, really essential to be able to just, like, get that apple out. Be like, mm-hmm. look at all the love that actually does exist mm-hmm. around the community, around you and you, mm-hmm. who you are, and around just the ideas that you're putting out there. So that's like a twofold thing of of addressing bad things or or things that are, if somebody's doing something that's not right and addressing it publicly or calling it out and being not afraid to. But then on the other hand, what you're saying is also uh, being able to look at the bigger picture of of things and not focus in too much on the negative thing, but instead more of the positive things. Yeah, like having a meta perspective on the entire situation at hand mm-hmm. and how easy it is just to focus, even on one thing a person's done, mm-hmm. right? Like we mentioned Jane Franco before, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it's not, I don't think, the strongest or the worst of the Me Too cases mm-hmm. by any means, but how one little thing can, can destroy everything yeah. that they've ever done. Yeah. And this is the power of the collective. And Mm -hmm. I find it to be absolutely terrifying Mm -hmm. because, I mean, the biggest meditation I've had since Louis C.K. pretty much is, does it affect the art? Does it affect the art? Like, is the Mm -hmm. art the person? Mm -hmm. Because we're, I mean, people are infallible. And so, like, if you look at the, like, have the meta perspective on, like, their entire breath of work and be Mm -hmm. like, I mean, James Branco is pretty damn brilliant. Mm-hmm. in so many ways and like okay he was a little off with the way he treated his girlfriend and his assistant but i mean we're all we all make mistakes i mean we all have a shadow yeah we've all yeah. and that's what's so fascinating with jupiter and scorpio right now is the focus is on the shadow it's it's bringing to light the shit we don't want people to see and we all have it we all have the dirty thing that we've participated in and that we've done and and we love to crucify the leader, right? The um, the Harvey Weinstein. And, and, he should be crucified. And, and I'm and I'm down <laughs> with that, but also there's there's yeah. more to it than just him. There's a sure. series of events that we've all participated in that have allowed that to even be possible, right? That we've all been participating in a culture that has let people like Harvey Weinstein do what 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 has been done and to own that we all own that shadow within ourselves and and to be able to have a more neutral perspective of someone like James Franco and Harvey Weinstein any anyone we see in history that is all evil it's an imbalanced perspective we've all been good and bad and i talk about this constantly on the podcast that it's always both you know and um and i just want to thank both of you for 
talking about this. And, and Adam, your words are really healing for me to hear. Uh, I've I've really had a hard time going solo with my podcast because I've gotten so many negative reviews since I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I haven't been doing things regularly, because I've been walking in the park talking to myself, which listeners aren't used to. Uh, and I've really, it's it's been like blowing my mind how much that's affected me. When I had Danielle as a partner, I could kind of shield myself and take comfort with her that we were both getting the bad review and we could pat each other on the back and give each other a hug and move on. But so to hear you say this is actually really healing for me to hear, which is so perfect for this like Chiron flavored episode, you know, that, oh, right. Like, don't forget the good reviews. Don't forget the great comments. Don't forget that it's just art and art is going to affect people however they choose to be affected by it. Right. Like as long as my intention is to serve humanity, you know, that's what's most important to me is, is it in service of humanity and, you know, God willing it is. So, so I think this is a great place to wrap up the trialogue, the three episodes, the marathon, (laughs) the marathon, podcast marathon, (laughs) (laughs) the podcast marathon. And boys, thank you so much because this is a great send off on my way to Cairo um, where I'm about to step into like Chiron and Cairo. That's a solo oh, podcast that you can do. Oh yeah. my God. Wow. That is actually brilliant. Thanks. Yeah. Cause well, <laughs> Chiron, that's the root is like he, you yeah, know, yeah, hand yeah. healing and, and, and that. So, so thank you boys for like meeting up with me to kind of spend time with me before I do go. And I'm so happy we could connect in this way before that happens. And we'll still connect on the interwebs after this, of course. But. Yeah, but it's good that we got to do it at least once in person while the three of us all lived here in Colorado. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. Yeah. This has been great. Thanks for hosting, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for bringing the equipment. Yeah. Thanks. This is nice. This camera is what happens when you support podcasts yeah. absolutely nice equipment better production bringing people together and you have a patreon too right I do. Yeah, yeah we all have the patreon yeah. yeah it's important to educate folks about this yeah because yeah, then you can reinvest it back in the business and improve the podcast and expand what we're doing and that's mm-hmm. that's what this was all about was basically our listeners being able to support the work we're doing in astrology with our three podcasts and yeah coming together to do a sort of thank you and to do a nice send off for Eugenia and to sort of celebrate the work that the three of us have done as we're, our, our paths have converged at this weird time in history. Yeah. Where we're going to look back at some yeah. point and be like, well, how <laughs> right. that happened? You know, it's like Seattle and the grunge era <laughs> right. or San Francisco in the late sixties. Like last time Chiron was in Aries. Right. Like it, there is a lot of astrology here. I mean, your meetup group is impressive. Really? When I do my things too, like here in Boulder and also in Denver, I mean, it's incredible mm-hmm. how many people listen to all of us. Yeah. Here and and I mean, it's just well, Colorado in general is on the map in the world for a lot of different reasons, but um, it's cool to know that astrology is partly that. Sure. I mean, people are listening to us from all over the world, and we're all here in Colorado. Yeah. People must be wondering, like, what is it about Colorado? Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. it's a secret. Don't come. Right. Google's too already taken over. Too late for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, boys, where can, yeah. can where can the listeners find you if they haven't figured that out? Uh, so you can find out more information about me at theastrologypodcast.com. And exploring astrology. And my website is holes to heavens, that's plural.com. 
So share this one around, subscribe to our episodes, you know, to subscribe to our, our podcast on iTunes. Cause that helps us immensely as well. And, and reviews, good stars and good reviews just make us feel good. Right. <laughs> and they're, they're really helpful actually for getting our, our stuff out there into the world. So thank you for those of you who have done it and we welcome more subscriptions all the time. So definitely. Sure. So thank you again. And, uh, uh, as, uh, as they say in Arabic, what do they say? Um, uh, shukran. See you again, inshallah. <laughs> shukran, inshallah. Inshallah, sha- inshallah. And um, m- many blessings and much love to you all. Ciao. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you received valuable information, be sure to subscribe to Bridging Realities on iTunes. And I would love if you left me some stars and a good review. For more information about this episode and past episodes, and to find out more about learning opportunities, the Bridging Realities Tribe, or to book a reading, please visit AccessibleAstrology.com. Thank you all so much, and I love you.